are listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, April the 29th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and at this time we are on Wednesdays going through Law and Gospel lectures by C.F.W. Walther. What we're doing is we're not going by the number of principles that he has. He has 25 of them. But we're going instead by the actual evening lectures. And when you look at them, that's a little bit different. There's 39 lectures, 25 principles, and 21 errors. So we've looked at evening one and evening two. We're going to be looking at the third evening lecture September the 26th, 1884, and as we've already indicated, we had talked about the six ways in which law and gospel are not different. Then we went into the six ways in which they are different. Now, we finished those 12 ways. And as he begins his third evening lecture, C.F.W. Walther often would have a little introduction to each evening before he returned to his thesis. And we're still on thesis number one, even the third evening lecture, which says, The doctrinal contents of all Holy Scripture, both of the Old and the New Testament, consist of two doctrines that different fundamentally from each other. These two doctrines are law and gospel. Now, in his introduction for the third evening lecture, he begins to talk about how important pure doctrine is. And here's his definition of pure doctrine. It is nothing less than a teaching of how to get to heaven. That's really good to know. Because it is really talking about the narrow way through Jesus Christ. That's true doctrine. Now, there are a lot of other doctrines in the Scripture, including historical doctrines, etc. But one needs to be very clear as to the need for pure doctrine. Now, Walter loves using analogies. He often doesn't use the analogies that Jesus uses, which are called parables. He definitely mentions them, but he has his own updated analogies. So here's the analogy he uses in regard to false doctrine. He talks about that people are at a large banquet and they drink from wine glasses to which arsenic has been added. They therefore drink physical death from their wine glasses. And he compares that in the same way. An entire audience can be subject to spiritual and eternal death when they listen to a sermon to which the poison of false doctrine has been added. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he talks about that the natural man is unable to understand the things of God. 
He's quoting from 1 Corinthians 2.14. I'll read it from the ESV. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, you cannot use reason or attempt to give evidence as to why we believe what Christianity says. No, the Holy Spirit instead instills faith in you. It's kind of a blind faith that believes what the Scripture says because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And natural man cannot achieve that. So until the natural man is given the things of the Spirit of God, he can understand spiritually discerned items. So he talks about the difference between false doctrine and true doctrine. He says pure doctrine leads to to dead orthodoxy because you're always focused on pure living instead of focusing on the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. And that way you plant the seeds of a righteous Christianity. But here he comes with another analogy. That would be like saying to a farmer, stop worrying about the good seed. Be concerned about the good fruit. Well, if you know anything about farming, the only way you can be concerned about getting good fruit is that you have good seed. I'm uh, planting some uh, indoor vegetables like radishes and carrots. I went to the store and the seeds were in packages about 2.95 each. But then there was another tray of seeds, 5 for a dollar. So I asked one of the individuals there who works at the store, why are these so inexpensive? He says, oh, those were last year's seeds. Now, it's quite possible that they can grow as well as this year's. And they didn't have radishes, so I bought one radish at two ninety-five this year's and then five other packet of seeds uh, from last year. And we'll see how they grow indoors. Yeah, it's a wonderful way during this virus of teaching kids about how to grow plants. Use five-gallon pails, and you get a lot of information if you go to YouTube. Growing indoors with five-gallon pails. Well, at any rate, that's what I decided to do. But it was clear that I might not be using the best seed. So people are really interested that you have good fruit. This occurred to me not long ago. I was uh, at the hospital for some tests, and there were, how many people in the room? I think four of us in the room. And, oh, you're a pastor? Yes, what religion? Uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And I'm on the radio every day, et cetera, et cetera. And we started talking about uh, the differences. The one girl was Roman Catholic. I was Lutheran. 
And she says, uh, the more I, I hear, I don't think there's that much difference between the two. And I looked at her and I said, that's why I have my program, <laughs> to show how big the differences are. But then I made the point. But I do believe that Roman Catholics, Episcopalians, Baptists, and other Christians are going to be saved. But we differ on certain areas, like in Roman Catholicism, we don't believe in praying to Mary. Uh, we don't believe in purgatory, this sort of thing. But then the other nurse said, well, I believe that everyone is saved just if you are good people. This is exactly what Walter is talking about here, that many people think if you are righteous, then you're going to be saved. So I looked at her and I said, have you ever heard of Pharisees? She said, yes, uh, they're in the Bible. I said, they were really good people. They took care of widows. They took care of the poor. They uh, used money to help out a lot of Jews who were in need. They were good people. And yet Jesus said, your father is the devil. She said, well, yeah, I'll have to think about that. So the point that Walter is making here is when you teach false doctrine that you're saved by your works, it's like a farmer who sows seeds. Now, why is it important to teach the proper doctrines of law and gospel? Because what... Walter is telling, and remember, he's talking to seminarians during this year and a half of lectures, and he's instilling in them, in their heart, a great fear, and that is a fear of false doctrine. So this is kind of an introduction to his third evening lecture, how important true doctrine is from false doctrine. But now he wants to return to the study of Thesis 1, mainly how important is, are the distinctions between law and gospel. He talks about Martin Luther in his writing on the Gospel of John, and this was 1530 and 1532, where Luther is talking about this. And what he is saying, and he's talking to seminarians, you must always have a greater regard for the what of a sermon than for a how of a treatise. This sermon applies only to those who have been struck by the law and are in need of comfort. Now, what he's saying here is this. Sometimes you can listen to someone and they're just really good in speaking. I like listening to the comedy channel on Sirius XM when I do my 1,000 miles per week driving when we're able to go to churches, not right now. And I listen to jokes. And I'll tell you, I can listen for three hours to jokes and maybe only come up with two or three people that I think are funny. Uh, funny enough that I might even use their jokes, which I often do. And, and so there they may have 
have a way of speaking that people love to hear, but their content is not that good. So what does Walther say is the proper content of a good sermon? The proper content of the law is it's to produce thirst. It's to lead the hearer to hell, he says, and put him to death. Now, where does he get that idea? Well, John 7, verse 37. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. The law is to produce thirst. The gospel is to refresh him. Now, how does that happen? How does the law produce thirst? Well, it tells us what we are to do in order to be saved and charges us with not having done it, no matter how holy we are. And that makes our salvation uncertain. And I I find there's always two responses to those who hear the proper law of God. They either go into despair or they reject the law of God. And, you know, in our society today, a lot of people are rejecting the law of God in regard to marriage, etc. So, when the law hits us, here's another analogy Walter uses. It hammers us. And that's right out of the scripture, too. The hammer of God is the law. You see, there's no sense giving the gospel to someone who hasn't been made thirsty by the law. And here's the analogy he uses here. When a person is not thirsty, you can hand him one glass of water after another, and it will do him no good because it will not refresh him. So the law says to your conscience, you must do it. You recognize I am not doing it. Therefore, the law puts you in anguish. You have to become thirsty and terrified. You have to tremble. That's why every meaning of the Ten Commandments that Luther writes, we must fear and love God. And that's the result of the commandments, the law, showing that we are fearing. The result is man can find no trust in his good works. And he, but he wants to have a good conscience. He yearns for a good, cheerful, peaceful conscience and for real comfort. Jesus makes a big difference, Walter says, between himself and Moses. The thirst that is plaguing you comes from Moses. He's done his job when you hear the laws of Moses. And you've got not only the moral laws, you've got the civil laws, you've got the ceremonial laws. And so the law is like a noisy gong or a danging, da- clanging cymbal. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. So, what C.F.W. Walther is saying to the seminarians, if anyone is well-versed in this art, 
if any of you can rightly make this distinction between law and gospel, he deserves to be called a doctor of theology. Now, C.F.W. Walthers will say again and again that he has not yet reached that point. It's always a learning process. And I've said a number of times, if knowing law and gospel on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being really good like Jesus knew it, I feel I'm around a 5 or 4. It's, it's really hard to know law and gospel. And we're going to see that when we look at the 21 ways in which Walther shows how pastors misunderstand the use of law and gospel. C.F.W. Walther talks about a friend he had, Dr. Staupitz, who said on a certain occasion, more than a thousand times I have lied to God promising that I would become godly, but I never did what I promised. I will never again resolve to become godly, for I see that I cannot carry out my resolution. I want to quit lying to God. And see, that's what the law does. The preacher does not teach, therefore, that you can love God or that you must act and live in a certain way. Rather, he tells you how to be godly in God's eyes, how to be saved, despite the fact that you cannot do it as you should. So the law says, you shall not sin, do this, do that. But Christ says, accept the fact that you are not godly, but I have been godly in your stead. So sermons must be preached, both of them, law and gospel, simultaneously, and urged on the listeners. He uses another analogy. He who has not tasted bitter things does not remember sweet things. You know, you're tasting something that doesn't taste that good, and then somebody gives you something sweet. Oh, is that better? That's what the gospel does. The gospel is a lot better. But if you haven't had the bitterness of the law, you don't recognize the gospel. He says a lot of pastors, you know what they focus on? In their preaching, they focus on themselves rather than on Christ. And I've heard of this. A pastor will be telling about a trip that he and his wife made overseas or some other things that he had to stop from doing in order to be acceptable to God. No, that's not preaching from the heart. To preach from the heart means a pastor acknowledges that he is as poor and sinful a sinner as is the entire congregation. Recently at the hospital, I had to go through a little treatment, and the doctor who was going to do it said, oh, you're going to be okay because you've got an inside with upstairs. And I looked at him and I said, I have no more of an inside with God than you have. Pastors don't have a better chance of being healed than do lay people. That's really important to understand. So, he talks about that proper preaching of the law isn't the first half of the sermon is law, then the second half is gospel. 
No. It needs to be a lot of times in the same sentence so that the hearer is saying, you know, he is preaching to me. In fact, he says, and I really agree with this, you will not find a single gospel reading from which you cannot preach both law and gospel in the entire Bible. Now, it's clear the law cannot restore the soul because through the law, Paul says, Romans 3.20, comes only knowledge of sin. And listen to Romans 4.15. The law works nothing but wrath. Now, this coming Sunday is Good Shepherd Sunday. And here's what Lutheran, uh, I'm sorry, what C.F.W. Walther says. This good news of the gospel also includes that Jesus is to be our shepherd, seeking us starving and scattered sheep. So he raises the question, why the law leads people into the horrible sin of despair? And that's because the law is good. Good. Well, yes. It's kind of like a diagnosis of a pastor. I'm sorry, of a doctor. You're not feeling well? He diagnoses it, which is good. Here's what your problem is. Because only when you know what the problem is, can you know what the treatment is? So, in this matter, our consciences are to be exempt from the law, but a lot of time, our bodies are to obey the law. What's he talking about? Well, Luther gets into the two kinds of righteousness. You have the righteousness here on earth, obeying the laws of the land, the government paying your taxes, keeping your speed limit, etc. And that can be a righteousness here on earth. But it doesn't save anyone. The only righteousness that saves you for heaven is divine righteousness, which is Christ's righteousness, where he carefully gives to you his righteousness. Therefore, the conscience has nothing to do with the law, its works, and the righteousness of this earth as a way of trying to be saved. No. The distinction between the law and gospel is important because it sums up all Christian teaching. The law is to be taught as a means of getting people thirsty. And when they're thirsty, oh boy, has anybody got something for me to drink? Remember Jesus with the woman at the Samaritan well? I have water that you will never again be thirsty. Oh, give me some of that. So it is important to realize this is an analogy even Jesus uses in order to help us to understand the distinctions between law and and gospel. So yes, there is a righteousness that serves us for this life. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that's the righteousness that serves you for the life to come. But a lot of times, we obey the righteousness of the law 
on earth, thinking that thereby we're being pleasing to God and he's going to save us. No. There's only one righteousness that saves. And that comes about through faith. And what's faith? Believing in the promises of the what? Of the law? No. Believing in the promises of the gospel. So he's ending the third evening lecture. Law and gospel must be kept distinct, not only in our sermons, but also, above all, in our own hearts. And he's talking to seminarians about to become pastors who realize that they, too, are miserable sinners in need of salvation. Now, God willing, next Wednesday, we'll begin the fourth evening lecture, and that will also bring us to thesis number two. And we'll read about that next Wednesday. Tomorrow on Law and Gospel, Rumination Thursday with myself, Tom Baker, and Wes Reimnitz. We've got an interesting subject for you. Join us. Listen to God Law bless. Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.